I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of your houses. Clarence Hillian is going to make you a super human being. Okay, welcome. Episode 15, Crackpot Cinema. In the very, very month of uh, the very gay month of not may but june i was gonna sing i don't know what i was anyway uh welcome <laughs> yeah, to where all, were you going I, I, you know wasn't that like i was walking in the park one day in the merry merry month, <laughs> of, month, of, month of, of yeah day. bugs bunny would sing it yeah. yes i was thinking i, I heard it in elmo's fud's voice bugs bunny a gay icon as we have all now come to understand yeah yeah and uh elmer fudd castrated in the new <laughs> oh i'm so cartoon. mad about that oh i'm angry oh well, this really, cancel I really wanted culture. to watch the new looney tunes cartoons but now i won't <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> yeah now they'll be boring and unfunny <laughs> <laughs> now they might be for children <laughs> yeah um oh where where are we it's uh crackpot cinema Episode 15, I am uh, Mike McPadden, I'm the author of Teen Movie Hell and uh, Heavy Metal Movies. Across the country from me is... Aaron Lee, comedy writer, producer for shows like Family Guy and Superstore. Sitting in L.A. Oh, Sitting in L.A. Weird. Uh, the Yes, the uh, a place that, in, in the, with our gay-themed uh, uh, podcast this, this week, Mike... Yeah. A place that I was told when I when I left Kentucky, my boss told me, <laughs> yeah. enjoy doing cocaine and becoming gay. He said, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to start doing coke and become gay. So here I, I am. A few things more enjoyable than those two activities. <laughs> I mean, in my life, I mean, that's like, you know, certainly top 69. <laughs> 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 so... Um, so, uh, I want to welcome all our new listeners that uh, we got from the incredible Frank Santo Padre episode oh, last what week. What a delight that was. Uh, kind of setting us up for uh, our gay pride ep um, with a look at Sextet, mm-hmm. Mae West's uh, camptastic midnight movie swan song. Thank you so much, Frank. And thank you to uh, Gilbert Podfried's amazing colossal podcast, not just for keeping me around for six years as their Facebook dude, but for the incredible community that has supported this podcast as well. So, um, yeah, we, we picked two movies this week. Well, for, well, actually, we picked about 14 movies and narrowed it down to two. Mm-hmm. And uh, as usual, we uh, pulled the wool, pulled the rug out from under any listeners that wanted to watch along with us. By announcing we would do Making Love and then The Ritz uh, and Partners. But instead we ended up going with Zorro the Gay Blade and Partners. So um, uh, let's begin with our rating system. We may as well just get right into this. Uh, Sure, yeah, let's jump right in this week. Although, oh wait, and and this will set up my rating system too, but I would love to say, Mike, uh, I feel like, you and I both, I, I'm not sure around what age, I feel like uh, we both got, you know, fascinated by gay-themed cinema 
in particular, a real a real fuse that was lit was the book Celluloid Closet by Vito Very Russo. Much. Vito which, Russo, which we've mentioned on this show a couple times. It's a, it's just an incredible book, really. Like, and I'm surprised there hasn't been any kind of big revised edition of that um, in recent years. Seems like it's screaming out for it. Or, but um, when when did you when and how did you discover that book? I I. Probably um, early 90s, I would think, uh, just at a used bookstore, grabbed it, uh, yeah. loved it. How about you? Yeah, sa- same thing. Yeah, I- I- speaking of Kentucky, in-, in Lexington, Kentucky, at a great bookstore that I think is still there called Skechel Media. Um, wow. S-Q-E-C-I-A-L. I think it's still there if people uh, listening want to support it. And um, yeah, and just raiding their film section. I think you're right. I think like 1990, yes, yeah, early right 90s. And then uh, Carol Gardens, Brooklyn, the crazy bookstore whose name I can't remember, where the guy was a real crank and he we, would chain smoke surrounded by dry paper, just piles oh, and piles great. of thousands of books. <laughs> that was the late great Charles Whittington in uh, in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah, he had he had was literally like hoarder surrounded by old paperbacks and stuff and was sitting no, no, there no, that's, smoking. that's what this guy yeah. was and he would yep. like yell at you to close the door you're letting the heat out and all that stuff so. <laughs> yes the, the <laughs> fire the fire might not catch and end this <laughs> you're letting the smoke out yeah. yeah wait till the fire starts then open the door we'll get some oxygen in here really get this going yeah, so, but, yeah part of the thrill was risking your life to buy books and use bookstores back then but russo really just had such he had this incredible way of pointing out to you in, in a way I had never seen before. Like, look, here are all the tropes. The, these are the yeah. cliches, yeah, yeah. the tragic gays, the the, uh, the the gay, the super femi gay character that's put into the male cop buddy movie to show you they're not right. gay. Like that. That's what a homosexual looks like. Not these two right. guys who keep hugging and and rubbing each other's backs and stuff. And um, and he was. Yeah, like, like, yeah, really a mind-blowing author. A, lo- a lot like what Donald Bogle's books do for black cinema. He he did sure. for uh, for gay. And gay like cinema. the best writers and the best uh, people in general who who write critically about film or art, uh, completely unpredictable pre- uh, opinions. Yeah, um, including uh, he's a fan of Zara the Gay Blade, which we'll get to in a minute. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, you know, you can't say completely unpredictable. He has an aesthetic. He has a sensibility that you can identify. But, um, you know, it's never just automatic. And he right. comes up with all kinds of really compelling and entertaining reasons. So, Celluloid right. Closet also made it into a terrific documentary. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, and for the th- our thumbs up, thumbs down system, Mike, uh, for the, the shit joke, this is the classiest one I've ever done. And I did it. Right. I did it in the spirit of kind of a trying to do like kind of a bitchy gay, uh, you know, queenie. sophisticated. You yes, exactly. So so my my system is celluloid closet or water closet. <laughs> <laughs> How continental. Yes, yeah. Okay, yeah. I have four. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Homo or no mo. That's good. Sodomy or lobotomy. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. Uh, wait, hang on. The fourth one I think is the best. Harvey Milk or Gnarly Muck. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Or 
LGBTQ or SHIT? <laughs> That's pretty good. All right, let's go with that. I like that one. Okay. LGBTQ <laughs> yeah. SHIT. Okay. Yeah. So, um, first of all, let's talk about how gay are you percentage wise, Aaron? Oh, God. I don't know. I like, yeah, like on the scale, you know, yeah. I gotta say, like, I'm. It, it's funny. I've had this talk with. Uh, I've had this. I'm thinking of one ex. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I'm thinking of one ex girlfriend in particular. Um, I don't want to. Uh, uh, you know who who worked who worked with us at at uh, at Hustler at, at Larry Flint Publications. Right. And I remember I remember her saying to me like I remember her saying to me basically essentially saying to me you know you act like you would be kind of gay or slid down here in the scale but you're just a straight guy <laughs> she, like wow. she was just she was like you're one of the straightest guys i've ever met in a like like she was essentially uh, accusing me of presenting uh, you, you know of, yeah, of posing, for, posing, and, posing yeah so so that has always uh that has always uh, stuck in my stuck That's in my be mind your comedy the gay poser like yeah exactly yes. yeah like like uh yeah so i don't know that's that's what comes to mind when you ask the question what 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 number are you giving yourself well, on the, okay, the peter so meter this came up <laughs> so we so this is you know this is not the six kinsey scale this is like one to 100 percent. so okay. this came up a couple of years ago um rachel and i my wife and i used to play um uh, like a, a newlywed kind of game with other couples we knew, like when we'd have barbecues and stuff, and I would write the questions. And, okay. you know, it was super fun. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the questions was, you know, percentage-wise, how gay are you? And I wrote, you know, I took it seriously. I wrote 10%. So I said okay. this out loud. The entire room of uh, three couples and my wife yelled at me, oh, get the fuck out of here. Get out yeah, of here. That's, that's very... Yeah, that's very, yeah, that's that's funny. That's and then very Rachel telling. revealed her answer, and she wrote seventy percent at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's, oh, that's it's, there's a, it's the best. There's a good average there between you two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, that's funny. That reminds me of there's a famous uh, Simpsons writers room game they would play. Just hearing that where. The, the question would be, uh, what celebrity um, do you do you think you look most like? And, oh, and yes, people yes. would go, oh, yeah, hey, you know, I think this, I think Ben Affleck or something. And right. then the next question would be, and people would go, oh, yeah, okay, I can kind of see it. And the next question would be, what celebrity are you afraid you look like? And then you would go, <laughs> oh, Eddie Deason. And everybody would go, oh, Yes! That's that it. I've, I've yeah. always been trying to think. Yeah, that's it. That's who you look like. Yeah. So to hear that, it's like, that's it. Yeah, I think that's a good litmus test for your gay. Uh, what does the crowd all yell? <laughs> <laughs> what do they all agree on? Because God knows these things are determined by what other people think. <laughs> like, is, is, there, yes. is there a yeah. worse message that, yes. <laughs> and I want to include, I want to say that among the other couples were, uh, Two married women that we, you know, women who are married to each other that we know and love very much, who were yelling at me, "You are at least fifty percent gay." That's so, funny. Yeah. That's so, funny. and uh, a big part of uh, my gay, my you know, gay education uh, came about. So this is sort of the, you know, the sweet spot 
of crackpot cinema is sort of the turn of the 70s into the 80s, I would say. Would you? Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, especially because when I was 10 years old in upstate New York, a very small town in upstate New York, uh, my mom, a big part of my cinema education was my mom's gay friend, Jay, who I always always think how, yeah, like the very small town and... Jay was the coolest guy, the absolute greatest. He was he was friends with my mom and, and her friend Karen, and the three of them were always hanging out, and Jay was would talk to me about film nonstop and took me to, like, the first movie I remember him and I going to see was Star Trek II. So what year was that, 81? 82. It was probably 82. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, so that to me is the era, like, like got a lot of my sensibility around film and gay sensibility around film from him so yes that's yeah. very much the the sweet spot to me yeah yeah for me it's like 78 to 82 which is when you know um my parents subscribed to new york magazine my father regularly brought home the village voice oh so yeah I was getting a lot of film education that way that makes sense yeah and just you know and those 78 to 82 that's the, i was the years between nine and and 14 for me so what gay critics were you reading? Were you reading Rex Reed well, at Rex that Reed point? Rex was in the Daily News. That was right. easy, yeah. But yeah, just right. being tuned into the movie. And I, look, look, I, you know, I was in New York City, so it sure, was, yeah. uh, you know, Cruising was a documentary to, to if you yeah. drove by the, uh, the West Side Highway at any point. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, um, you saw it. That's amazing. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh. What was, yeah, oh, the Ramrod, Macabre was the one next door. Yeah, I mean, that was just when you went into the city. And it was uh, it was a wild thing to see. And then as you kept going, then it became all the uh, lady uh, sex workers up on, uh, you know, uh, north of Times Square there. So anyway. Right. Um, and, and also, when we talk about that time period, so you have cruising in 1980. Czar of the Gay Blade in 81, Death Trap in 82, a movie I've never seen. I have. have. Yeah. I was going to say, that was a cable like It was. It definitely was. And it was fun. Even at that age. And it was Superman. You know, it was Christopher Reeve running around. So that was great. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Making Love. Oh, and can I just quickly say, I always loved the Death Trap poster. I loved that they used the Rubik's Cube. Yeah. I I always thought it was terrible. Oh, God, I loved it. Oh, I loved I it. I thought it was the worst, because it was this super classy play on Broadway. Yeah, right, right. And that ran forever. And there were always commercials for it, and people, you know, your people's parents would talk about what, what a great time they had. And then I thought they really cheaped it up with that. Uh, uh, I knew they did, and I always liked that. Just like as if it had been Pac-Man, you know, with <laughs> with Reeves' face and Kane's yeah. face on a ghost or something. Like, I, yeah, yes, right, you know. right. Yeah, but yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, personal best and making love in '82 and Victor Victoria all in 1982. So, oh, that's a good one too. I should also say, at this time, I was just nonstop. It was just assumed I was gay, and no that kidding. was not a present. That was yeah, no. I mean, like you know, by your family a, a or by other? Man. No, I mean, I have to think my family did, but um, you know, my father was a Green Beret. He had his suspicions. He let me know on occasion, oh. <laughs> but no, no, the kids well. at school. Because that was this weird, like, you know, chubby, no sports uh, art kid. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, we, I mean, it, you know, when you like, it, oh, my God, let's, let, I'm, I'm obsessed with talking about the Mae West Midnight movie 610 <laughs> and we're 11, you know? 
Well, when you put it that way, I guess it was assumed I was gay also just by being 13 years old walking down the street in Lexington, Kentucky and having gay slurs shouted at me from no, every I mean, other that car. That was the story of my life. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, that, that was, was just part of living amongst yeah. rednecks and yeah. Yeah, and I was in uh Brooklyn, which has it's its own kind of completely idiotic right <laughs> Sure. So, you know. yes. And uh yeah, and all I yeah, I just wanted to I just wanted to escape and get to the village where I could, you know, just hang out at the A Street Playhouse and absorb all the Rocky Horror vibes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and you, you know, know it like was, it wasn't that big a leap for them to make, I guess. And, and I, I have to say when we when I was looking up these movies and doing the doing the research on them, like these are these are not too esteemed films, obviously. And the right. in fact partners was pretty reviled, you know. But, yes. But I, I, re- I have to admit, I really found it moving, especially partners of these two. The amount of comments online I saw by guys saying, like, yeah, I know this is a bad movie, but I was 10 and gay. Right. And sure. this was the first, and I saw it on cable, and this was the first right. time I saw two guys living together in a movie, or, or a neighborhood, and was like, oh my God, there's this, this is out there. Even if it's this offensive, mincing portrayal, that, that they just did not see that representation before I then. I get it, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's that whole concept of representation. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, yeah. you know, like, as I said, that's how I felt when I saw Annie Hall. There's somebody else like me in the world. And there's a, right. maybe more of us because this movie's a huge hit. And- uh, yes, I saw less of those comments for Zorro the Gay Blade. I didn't see a lot of guys saying, like, this changed my life. But <laughs> I realized that I, too, should wear a <laughs> a pink velvet you yeah. know, Zorro costume. Chartreuse and all these yes. very uh, specific hues of the rainbow flag. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, right. So, um, let's talk Zara the Gay Blade. Uh, I'm going to give this a mild LGBTQ. Oh, man. I I got it. It really hurts me to say this because this is a movie, Mike, that I saw many times on cable as a kid. I loved this movie back then, and I loved Dracula. Or I was going to say Dracula, dead love loving it. Bite. Love at first bite. And, uh, oh, God, did I love them. And so I really, it's funny, I was dreading watching Partners, and I was all pumped up for Zorro the Gay Blade. And Same I thought here. I thought yeah. Zorro the Gay Blade was boring, and I, I got to give it the S-H-I-T. And I, well, I was really that's surprised. Issue. It, it, got, it gets so boring. It starts so boring. It, like, yeah, and no, it, right. it, he, right. yeah. George Hamilton isn't around for the first 15 20 minutes and then he comes in and he's funny and he's giving this very funny over-the-top performance he's great with just nothing to do and then it and then it gets yes and then it gets more boring off that initial uh jolt of him appearing but uh oh man this was a tough one yeah i i have to agree i was incredibly distracted oh i i did enough to recommend it Here's, here's what I wanted to ask you. Let's get yes. honest here. Here's something yeah, I please. feel like I've never heard on a nerdy movie podcast, All and right. I'm ashamed of it, and, and yeah. I would assume everybody else is too. How much did you end up looking at your phone during this one? I hate to say it's the entire time. Me I, too! I I, and I really don't. With I really I, try I to focus either. with these. And I kept, like, I kept, like, putting the, I kept just, like, oh. putting it down and trying to walk away and... 
Yes, yeah. that's the, to me. Come that's back. the ultimate yeah. bad review, and uh, and like no, I said, right. really yeah. broke my heart because, and yeah. I don't know, I don't know what at age ten, I don't know what I was laughing at, like, what? but you know, I really I was. That, yeah. I mean, first off, it was a movie, so yes. it's just a period. Something to do, yeah. Um, but we should talk about because my memory of this film was uh, that it was a big hit. And it got good reviews, and people liked it. Kids at school certainly talked about it. Any kid who had a pay TV service talked about it. Okay. Um, apparently, it was not a hit, in theaters at least. Uh, love at first bite, which I did love. I remember loving that. And yep. uh, it makes me a little scared to go back and watch it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But uh, that was a monster hit. But I couldn't get a, a gr- proper gross on this. Uh Wikipedia says the budget was twelve and it only made five. Uh, IMDb said it made eleven million. I don't. I don't know either way. But um, I, I will say at the time I didn't see it. And nineteen eighty one was a movie, uh, a summer where I did go to a bunch of movies because honestly I thought the title was too one. It just indicated to me that it was just going to be this one joke, and I was like, eh, it doesn't seem like really worth it. And then I saw that overseas. Uh, in Australia and other countries, it was called Zorro Swings Again, which is a much better title, and I would have gone to see that. You, you know, what's funny is I, I was, and sometimes you and I talk about, like, we have a year or two age difference, and yeah, there are weird times where it makes all the difference. What's funny is, like, I saw this on cable as, as a kid at the age where I did, it, it's funny that you knew, oh, it's a one-note gay joke thing, that's the, the threat, where I had that amorphous, didn't really actually know what gay was, didn't right. hear the title and go, oh, it'll be that joke. You, you know what I mean? It's so I, wild to me because I hear that from people who didn't grow up in the city. Right. All yes. the time. They're like, I yeah. didn't know what gay was till I was like 14. I was yeah, like, right. I knew it four. even saying my mom's gay friend who you know who i knew was gay and it was explained to me it still didn't quite form in my brain yet you know yeah so so yeah i experienced zoro the gay maybe that's why i was laughing because it wasn't a one joke movie i didn't i didn't know that point i was gonna save at the end but i'll say it now uh it looks and feels a lot like a disney movie yes and with like maybe a five percent adjustment to the content, um, and calling it Zaro Swings again, and making uh, Bunny Wigglesworth, who is the gay Zaro, just fabulous and flamboyant rather than explicitly gay, it could have been a Disney movie, I think. Yeah, yeah, but I was fascinated to see uh, it was a Melvin Simon movie. And I am just more and more obsessed with this guy. We talked about him on our Brooke Shields episode because he produced Tilt. Oh, right. Oh, fascinating and, freak. Yeah. He's the shopping mall king. Like, basically yeah. the guy yeah. who created the shopping mall and took his money that he made and put it into a production company, Melvin Simon Productions, and made this Rabbit Test, Scavenger Hunt, the Porky's movies, the Manitou, somebody killed her husband, and Choo Choo in the Philly Flash. And so, like we said last time, I just think, like, this guy had to be the ultimate crackpot. He's the I mean, crackpot cinema. Yeah, no, he's yeah. the dude. And we just have to, we just have to get through all of those. <laughs> yes, we really do. We should do a special yeah. episode on him. We'll yeah. do uh, Melvin. Yes. Um, yeah. Mondo Melvin. Um, so, a couple other notes before we get into the movie. Uh <laughs> 
I really, every time I think about this, I despair. Joke, uh, in, the, in Joker, the Wayne family, in the midst of the climactic riot, eat the rich, Times Square is being torn apart, people are targeting rich people. The Wayne family dresses to the nines, top hat, <laughs> tails, fur coat, to go to some, like, you know, 8th Avenue Grindhouse to go see Zorro the Gay Play. <laughs> I do. And oh, oh, we've talked about this. You brought that up. And over time, I've grown to love it more and more. Like, <sighs> like I now I love that detail. Yes. Oh, well, wait. I Zorro mean, the Gay Play. If, if, I, if I wasn't so psychotically despondent about living among adults to whom Joker is a serious film, that would be a nice yeah. touch to me. Yeah. Well, and when I say adults, they, I mean the our entire society. Oh yeah, no, they won. We're we're living yeah. in we're the living in Joker. Who we're living in Jokerland. Mad Max Fury Road, which to me is Al my balls the mo- the movie from Idiocracy, the greatest film of the 2010s. And it, you know who the fuck knows it might be. But, yeah, I, I uh, think it's no, pretty great. We, yeah, you're right. Joker. But Joker we have, we we have been Jokerfied. Yeah, yeah. we yeah, yeah, Joker won. We lost. <laughs> uh, and Quentin Tarantino is supposedly working on a Zaro Django crossover. Huh, okay, I All expect right. to see that around the time of his R-rated uh, Star Trek and uh, sure his Halloween movies. movie. His Halloween right. movie. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Halloween six six six. Yeah. I bet I bet he could have I bet it could have been good. I bet he could have Oh yeah, it no, it, it probably yeah. would have been good. Yeah. Yeah. But, but remember uh, that was like potentially his follow-up to Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yes, I do. I do remember that. <laughs> I remember seeing Halloween 6 at the Chinese theater with you and being just so bored out of my mind. Oh my god, with Paul Rudd being baffled. Yeah. Yes. Oh boy. <laughs> I think I've seen every Halloween movie since since four, since part four, I've seen every one of those bad sequels <laughs> in a theater. Every one of them. I've never missed wow. one. Wow. Up to, you know, Halloween Resurrection, the, the Danny the, McBride. The, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I always forget that exists. Again, yeah, we've been Joker-fied. Yes. Um, so uh, the movie itself it is dedicated to Ruben Mamoulian who was the director of The Mark of Zorro, which this is technically a sequel to. And a movie called The Gay Desperado. The which Gay just, Desperado! Just seeing that title, I was like, there's no really... I guess it's just a coincidence, but yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, who knows? But I did laugh. Yeah, I did laugh yeah, when I no, saw it. Yeah, me like, too, okay. and I made a note to point out The Gay yeah. Desperado also. <laughs> yes. So you have that class touch. Uh, I did think that, you know, the opening, the, there's like black and white, kind of looks like an old Zorro movie, maybe a silent movie. All of uh, it, all of it showing too much affection for Zorro, too much reverence. <laughs> and that's the problem. Like, these are clearly guys who just wanted to make a Zorro movie. And yeah. in fact, I don't know if how many rabbit holes you went down reading stuff online, but there's a, there's a, the original writer wrote the script he he's now kind of a a screenplay doctor uh like he sells like screenplay software or something online but on his website he explains that he wrote the original script as like it was entitled something like zorro the comedy movie 
right. you know, or is there, yeah. and and through the rewrite process, and get, it got t- turned into once it was out of his hands into Zorro the Gay Blade, essentially. So was that so, a Hal Dresner? No, no. Uh, God damn it! Yeah, I didn't six write down writers his name. credited. Yes, no, it's not. Uh, no, but um, but yeah, but it, so it so it originally was not just the gay themed Zorro movie. It was it, you know it, yeah. like like Love It First Bite. These are just these kind of. It's funny to see the Mel Brooks knockoffs of Blazing yes. Saddles, Young Franks, on his genre before the Zucker brothers nailed it. Before they said. Right. We are taking it and cranking it up to eleven, and right. and this yeah. was this middle period of, of uh, movie genre Mel Brooks inspired, so, which we've talked about before the the parody, yeah. the era. What was the Kirk Douglas one we watched? The villain that was so yes. bad. Yeah. Yes. Oh God bless us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, I too much affection, that... too much affection. The Zuckers had to come along and go. These movies sucked. That's yeah. that's what it took. This. Yes. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's, but this had, this was a really good line, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. The narrator, you know, his very clipped, uh, over-the-top narration is like, to the people, he was a great hero who would live forever in their hearts. To the landowners, however, he was a real pain in the ass. Yeah, that was good. I was like, okay, that sets it up. This right. is going to be good. This is going to be Kentucky Fried Movie. Uh, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, right. And no. it looks amazing. I gotta say, yes, the costume yes sets, the art direction, everything is incredible looking. D- directed um, by uh, uh, Peter Medic, who who yeah. I wondered who did a couple movies with kind of a gay sensibility. The Craze in the early nineties. Yeah. I hated the, that movie. The Ruling Class with Peter O'Toole, uh, arguably, which I, I saw as a young, like as a teenager, and loved. I haven't yeah. seen it since then. Is that one that, that was a Dan- big CM that got a big like early '80s re-release? Yeah, but did Danny Peary hate that one? I'm trying I think to remember. He did. I think I he think, did. I can't remember, but I, I think he did. He, I think he hated in general all movies that were about a kook outcast who's more who's wiser than everyone else. Like that. Right. that remember King of that? Re- being the yes, that yeah. really pushed his buttons. Yeah. And and King of Hearts is a fascinating one because that when we were even before we were like out seeing these movies in the 70s that was one of the perpetually running cult movies in in new york right utterly forgotten just erased from the memory now yeah totally um yeah i made a note we should maybe pair the ruling class with morgan a suitable case for treatment to oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes uh but he also made the changeling which is great yeah. Uh, the George C. Scott Changeling. Um, the uh, TV movie Heart to Heart that became the pilot for the series. I was a big fan of that series. That's right. I remember you saying that. Um, a whole bunch of fairy tale theater episodes, which I never saw. The Men's Club, an insane film we uh, analyzed on our Toxic Masculinity Meltdowns episode. Right. Romeo is Bleeding from 1994, a movie I hated. Also saw that at the Chinese theater. Wait, at, which which one is Romeo is Bleeding? That's the crime movie with um, Gary Oldman and Lena Olin in Brooklyn. Okay, like yeah. Super arty and... Right, okay. But so stupid. And uh, I resented it even more because my, uh, my best friend at the time and, and still a guy I worship, Fischl Bocephus, was visiting L.A., 
and uh, we were going to go to the movies, and I insisted we go see Romeo is Bleeding, whereas he kept pushing us to go see Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Oh. They opened the same day, so I especially hated Romeo is Bleeding after that. And then Species 2, which I, I rented, and then I thought it was kind of like impressively weird, but I don't remember it at all. Yeah. No, me neither. But and, I saw uh, both I, sh- I shan't be revisiting <laughs> No, no, no need to go back to the Species movies. We saw Species with uh, Greg Dark at the Chinese theater. <laughs> oh, God, did we really? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure, or were we just sitting in his living room watching what was happening in his living room in real life? <laughs> because it's a very similar. <laughs> um, And, you know, I don't have a lot of notes on this movie. No. Because, like, I can tell you what I looked at on my phone. I can tell you about the news last night. We can talk about that. (laughs) You have, I mean, Hamilton is great. He is just great. Yeah, he Uh, really is. He's always, he's very fun to watch. Yeah, and you you wish it was a. After Love at First Bite, he really found the persona. He was like, I'm going to be George Hamilton, you know, the tannest man in, on earth with the the blackest hair and the brightest teeth and just live it and love it. You know, that's a really good point. He did do that before Leslie Nielsen and before like he he right. Or, well, no, I guess I guess it's poster. I, I don't know. Anyway, it was 82. The Naked Gun Show uh, police squad was 82. Yeah, no, he yes, he really. Um, yeah, he really he really was a game actor to. One yeah. of the first to go like, yeah, I'll completely send myself up that way. And, and compl- but yeah, totally. And But utterly over the top. Everybody plays it over the top in here, which is dangerous with comedy. But I think they all it all works. Uh, it's not always easy to understand Hamilton's Spanish accent at first. That's true. And Ron Liebman was really hard to understand as Captain Esteban. Capitan Esteban. Yeah, Ron But, Liebman. you know, also always great to see Ron Liebman. Recovering from, it's funny because you know he was he was in Up the Academy, had his you know blind rage over that, had his name pulled off, and then he was like, "I better do Zaro the Gay Blade next. <laughs> I got to do a funny movie after that piece <laughs> of shit." <laughs> oh man, always obsessed with that him taking his name off the credits. I like yeah. God, God, I want to hear that phone call when Ron Liebman yeah. called up. <laughs> Said, you know the one that that has obsessed me more, and I never, I've never found a satisfactory answer is Bill Murray taking his name off of Tootsie. But that wasn't out of no, no, no. Well, didn't they talk about that in the Wild and Crazy Guys book? I think they did, and he said he didn't want it to seem like a Bill Murray movie. It's like right, it was not a Bill Murray movie. There was meatballs. That wasn't going to endanger the Tootsie audience. That's true. Yeah, but I never got the uh, impression that that was a that wasn't a blind. No, no, no not anger, just bizarre. Yeah, to just me. Bu- he's a bizarre guy, which man. I guess That's, yeah established yeah. that he was a bizarre fella. He is a bizarre guy. Point. Yeah, no, I think I because think that if, is just if there was if he wasn't nominated for an Oscar for that for supporting, I, I you know there was much talk of it. I think that's just genuine. Bill Murray is a weird guy. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the biggest, like, maybe, you know, the only real movie he's ever been in. Right. <laughs> Better get my name off of that one. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, um, weird guy. Especially, so, think about that. That was, like, leading up to Razor's Edge time. Yeah, he was yeah. He was weird. Yeah. He was he was yeah. zen. He, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. No, you're right. Uh, you know, a lot of sword fights, a teddy bear costume. It's yeah. 45 minutes. 
which is halfway through the movie, more than halfway, when the gay blade appears. I know. God. Bunny Wigglesworth, uh, Zorro's What a miscalculation. Brother. Until then, it's just a Zorro movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And he's even funnier to me as Bunny, because it's, it's not oh. gay so much as it's the classic fop. Yes. You know? No, Bunny fop. should have been there on minute yeah. 10. Yes. Yeah. No, definitely funnier. Yeah. And uh, and then I loved his Zorro costumes. Bunny Zorro costumes that were like, you know, lavender and uh, scarlet and pink. They were awesome. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, nobody has anything funny to do. Lauren yeah. Hutton, Brenda Vaccaro, they're like Also going around. way over the top, Vaccaro. Yes, not super funny. Yeah. No, no. Um, Bunny, he goes in drag as Margarita Wigglesworth, and of course Ron Liebman falls in love with him. Uh, you, you know what I call this movie, Mike? Boro. Boro. <laughs> The gay boar. Just put a big B <laughs> on the poster. <laughs> yeah. Don't even finish it because you get bored halfway through and leave and the B. That's where my, my notes peter out. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Because that's when you started refreshing Huffington Post. And anything yeah. else new? Yeah. Anything? Nope. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, the 45 minutes it takes me to do each of our uh, Instagram posts. <laughs> But you know what? Hey, made me laugh when I was 10. Thank you. Thank you, Zora the Gay Blade. Thank you, George Hamilton. Peter sure. Medic. Yeah. So, again, you know, I, I can't, you know what? I have to go SHIT because I can't say go watch this. And have yeah, a great no. Time. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, watch Love at First Bite. And maybe that's boring too. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. A um, couple other notes on other things here. Uh, Hal Dressner, who was the. You know, the main screenwriter on the finished script. Uh, uncredited work on Cool Hand Luke nice. and The Extraordinary Seaman. Okay. Which I think you and I both suspected at one point was the fake movie in the Golden Turkey Awards. It's the Alan Alda comedy. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Where he's a ghost. Yep. Uh, he wrote Sss in 1974, the snake movie. Yeah. Don't say it, hiss it. Mm-hmm. The Iger Sanction. Uh, most of their TV work, including a 1973 pilot for a Catch-22 sitcom with Richard Dreyfuss wow. as Rosarian. Yeah. That's interesting. Created the hour-long 1978 sitcom Husbands, Wives, and Lovers, which I watched a bunch of because it seemed adult. It was one of those, yeah, okay, sounds this, like is the, this is the night, you know. Sure, really yeah. going to go for it. Right, right. <laughs> then they did. Um, and then here's just a couple of personal connections uh in the 50s during the original disney zorro craze my uncle freddie carved zorro into a table at my grandmother's house (laughs) and she had it until she died in 1993 that's great Uh, um and then the same year this movie was out i went with a bunch of my cousins to see disney on ice at madison square garden and at one point you know zorro comes skating out he's gonna do a big barrel jump he's gonna you know skate up the ramp jump the barrels land on the other side so Zorro does this, and as soon as he lands safely, like there were a bunch of firecrackers on the barrel. They're like, bang, 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 bang. And my cousin John, who was a year older than me, whispered in my ear, I was holding in a fart until that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I have good good associations with Zorro. So. Sure. Uh, and then I thought there'd be more weird Zorro movies, but there really, there's only a few. 
uh, yeah. the erotic adventures of Zorro, which I've seen. Thanks I to have seen that also. Video. Yeah, right. Yes. Is that Friedman? Is that Dave Friedman? It's, uh, yes, it's got to be Friedman or Harry Novak, one or the other. Yeah, or both right. possibly. I, I don't remember. Um, Dream of Zorro from 1975, which is a Spanish comedy about a guy who believes he's Zorro. Okay. Do you remember this Zorro and Son, the TV sitcom from 1983? I do, yes, I, I do. Once I saw the name, I remember it. Yep. Henry Darrow is our Paul Regina's son. Uh, supporting cast, Bill Dana, Gregory Sierra, Barney Martin, and Dick Godier. Wow. Was that and an ABC a, uh, show? I'm trying to remember who Son told me CBS. Okay, maybe. Because they yeah. had like Mr. Merlin yeah, at yes. that time. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. The Love Bug sitcom. Yep. Um, and then Zorita. Passions Avenger from 2000. Okay. Which, you know, the name says it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, S-H-I-T. So now, yeah. again, to me, a borderline call. Oh, man. Partners. Not for me. Tilt it, tip the scales way over into LGBTQ. LGBTQ all the way, yeah. man. I, yeah. I liked I liked Partners. I was surprised. Now, it's it's a very flawed movie, which we'll talk yes. about. Huge, huge problems. And I don't just mean in the problematic way. I mean, just in terms yeah. of a comedy. The but movie, yeah. there were a couple scenes, sequences that I really laughed at. And um, and I think it's a fascinating movie. Not not what I expected at all. I got to no, say, no, me neither. And I had seen it before, years and years ago. Um, didn't remember liking it, uh, but I, I really enjoyed it this time, and uh, I enjoyed it as a mystery. Yeah, even yes. though it gets like you know, I mean, that's where it really does kind of lose control and get yes it's an unnecessary level of mystery for what should just be a farce yeah yes yes. they go too deep into it yeah Yeah. but i kind of was like on the case with them and liking it so sure yeah um and you you know you use the word problematic (laughs) um so but but not in the necessarily obvious ways uh, such as what you would guess from the poster which I remember being protested in uh, Greenwich Village when I was a kid and being in the village when I was you know, 13 when it came out and there were flyers all over to protest partners. Uh, and really, it was uh, much of the rage was directed at the poster rather than the movie itself. Right. And, and understandably so. So you have a uh, painting of Ryan O'Neill in his cop uniform uh, and John Hurt next to him and in a, you know, a flamboyant outfit yeah tank top and uh john hurt is using holding a hair dryer up to his head and blowing his hair blowing his cop hat off and ryan o'neill is holding his service revolver against his head because he wants to commit suicide from having to be near a gay guy (laughs) yes Which and, is, uh, which is, which when we talk about the movie with the one joke, and that that is the one joke of this movie is Ryan yeah, O'Neill yeah. hates being around gay guys, and he's got to put yeah. up with it, and that's yeah. yeah. Except I assumed back then correctly that since it was rated R, and because Ryan O'Neill was straight, there would be nude women in it, and uh, yeah, you were right. So that made me want to see it. Yeah, and and uh, I'm and Mike, you and I did the we did the commentary track for Private School. Yes. Uh, with Phoebe Cates and which took us down this lane of learning about early 80s movies that were the the change in the movie industry for movies becoming pure uh, focus group product. Right. And 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 this and and we got and I got fascinated um, by the Paramount Six. 
Uh, uh, the Magnificent Seven. Let's talk about that after we get through the movie. Sure, because sure. We yeah. can go on. We'll, we will go on tangents. Yeah, absolutely. That. Yes. But this is one of those movies. So it what was. it was is Paramount, as movie budgets, imagine this, bloated to the average of $10 million, Paramount rushed seven movies into production with budgets of 4 to $8 million to see how they'd perform. And each one of them is like an extremely memorable film. <laughs> so... In yes. different ways. In different and, ways. And Barry Diller, the head of Paramount, who was really behind yeah. this because he had come out of television, said yeah. that there's a great quote where he says Partners is the essence of a badly made movie because it was rushed against a date. So, yeah. it, so it's interesting that he sig- singles this one out as like, oh, yeah, they were just in a big hurry to get it in the theater on time. Right. And, uh, and and it's hard to imagine that there was a rush to get this in a theater, right? Uh, to, as if they were clamoring for demand. I couldn't get over the fact that uh, the same year as this, Paramount released Forty Eight Hours, which feels so eighties and of of that era. And this feels so seventies to me. You know, well, you know, this to me is the the thing I always say: the seventies ended in the summer of eighty two. Yeah, this movie came out in the spring. Summer of 82 was E.T., Poltergeist, Star Trek II, Rocky Three, And by the by Christmas time, that was what the movies were then. They were just, you know, Spielberg yeah. machines. But, but just in terms of movie comedy, you really see how 48 Hours was the next evolution that's, no, that's, of that's this That's my kind point of, exactly. Left no, this in the dust. The yeah, Eddie Murphy stormed in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eddie Murphy came stomping in and it was all over. Like, we, there is no more partners. <laughs> you, you know. Right. Uh-oh. Dog oh, no. Week, the somebody... dog of the week. <laughs> You're a little late. We did Zorro. <laughs> Zelda. Okay. Oh, see? She knows. Yeah. So, um, against the budget of uh, $6 million, it grossed just $6.1 million. So, uh, it was a money loser. Maybe um, Zelda's a partner's fan. Maybe she uh, yeah, she doesn't like yeah. any bad. Maybe talk maybe about. this isn't dog of the week. Yes, exactly. She just <laughs> we watched to it together. Um, okay, Zelda's taken off. She's had enough. So uh, the two leads were originally offered. Did you read this? To yeah, Clint who was- Eastwood and Woody Allen. Oh my God! I Eastwood mean- said he would do it if Woody would do it, and Woody took a hard pass. Oh God, that'd be so great. Uh, oh. Do you remember the? Farley Brothers Stuck on You movie from 2003? Yes, I do. That was announced. Do you remember who that was announced as co-starring? No. Jim Carrey and Woody Allen. We're going to play the conjoined twins. Okay, right. And it ended up yeah. being Matt Damon and... and uh, Greg Ken- Kinnear. Kinnear. The, Kinnear, The yes. comedy powerhouse of Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear. That's right. Oh, man. Um, Eastwood and Allen. I mean, that would have been just just that poster, that offensive poster would have been amazing. <laughs> well, Eastwood would have been pointing the gun at Woody Allen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Yes. Woody Allen would be below frame dead. Yeah. <laughs> and would right. just be Eastwood. Yeah. That's and cool. of course, you know, in the in the wake of cruising, this did come off correctly as the comedy version of cruising. Which yeah. did not lead people to welcome it with open arms, as cruising had been unwelcome. Uh, right, but a pretty community. funny idea. Like, a pretty funny idea to uh, say, hey, yeah. that offensive movie, let's send that up, you know? Yeah. 
and and you and we have to and written by Francis Weber, the the yeah. French, the king of French farce. Who yeah. I, I you know I didn't I never I didn't put all his movies together until looking up Me this either. one. I had no idea. Amazing, yeah. amazing his track record. He he wrote French comedies that were often remade in the yeah. United States. The Toy, The Man with One Red Shoe, La Caja Faux, Three Fugitives, yeah. Dinner for Schmucks, Father's yeah. Day with Billy Crystal and Robin Williams. Right. My My Father the Hero with Gerard Depardieu. That's an incredible. Wait. That is Depardieu, right? Yes, that's yes. the one. I saw that. Yes, that's um, the crazy. Yeah. Yes, before you moved to L.A. and I had nothing to do, yeah. I would just go to like the. I went to the Galaxy Multiplex in Hollywood, and yes. I would just like hang out and uh, just. Oh, I, missed I would that go way. to like six movies a day. Yep. And I never. Part of the fun was not looking to see what was playing, just walking in sure. to the next theater, and that's how I got to see My Father the Hero. <laughs> Which had two incredibly memorable scenes, to use a, the most neutral word possible. A genuine shock when 14-year-old Kathleen Heigl gets up and has a thong on in this right. Disney film. And yeah, it's right. a big gag, and Gerard Depardieu is her father, so he... And they're on resort, you know, they're on vacation in the south of France or something. And, uh, you know, so he's trying to cover her up. And then as everyone at this resort comes to believe that they are a couple that she's his girlfriend uh he's they're, they're like oh you entertain let's uh, play the piano and sing some so he sits down and bangs out on the piano and then he starts going thank heaven for little girl i remember that yes which that's was right. a big i gotta say it was a big laugh i got right I had a big guffaw at that one but uh yeah did thanks, you Francis see Faber. yeah did you see judge dread at the galaxy with me Yes, the, we the saw opening that at midnight, night. and I fell asleep. Yeah. Do you remember there was a giant motorcycle stunt show with yeah. guys dressed as Judge Dredd, the full yeah. uniform, like Hollywood jumping Boulevard ramps outside, yeah. and then you, and then we all went in excited for the worst, most dull movie. I fell movie. asleep. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, brutal. Yeah. Yeah, remember but Rob Schneider was there. <laughs> yeah, but that Francis Weber here, a real, yeah, a real pro at this. Um, at this uh, genre, this farce oh, genre. I mean, yeah. And and this and Lacage being two examples, like in Lacage, he got it right, which was yeah. just go full camp with everyone. And That's that will it. be yes. fun. Every detail, everything over the top, crazy. Yeah. And here you have this bizarre lopsided movie with Ryan O'Neill entering the gay, the, the gay world and John Hurt giving this somber <laughs> incredibly nuanced serious performance that that hurt is terribly miscast here i think he's and he and he's (laughs) he's such a good actor and every slight and every time they use the f word and you see the pain register on his face it is so palpable and and horrible and heartbreaking (laughs) and heartbreaking out of place and takes any comedy out at any moment as opposed to if this even had been, if you're going to cast a straight actor, what I kept thinking was Martin Short, you know, 82 Martin great, Short, we have to flouncing around. He wasn't around at that point. Well, he, he was. That was when he started on SCTV. He started on but SCTV. But he wasn't a movie star. Yes. He wasn't a movie star. But, I would but, say the, the obvious one, and this would have made the movie unwatchable, Robin Williams. Yes. Oh God. Oh, that's yeah. a yeah. That's a rough thought. Yeah. Except he was okay. on. Uh, well, that's a good argument against. He what was I'm on saying. the Bowery Boys in the band on SCTV. That <laughs> that's year. right. 
That's right. Uh, I made a couple other casting calls. Um, hang on here. Uh, Henry Winkler would have been good. Sure. Okay, I can see that. Uh, Barry Bostwick would have been good. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's, well, he yeah, maybe too similar to O'Neal. But yes, okay, right, sure. Oh, yeah, good point, good point. Yeah. But skinny and he could have, you know, right, right. Flam- flamboyanted it up. Yeah. Uh, Tim Kazarinski from SNL. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and there really is only one correct answer, and that is Mr. John Ritter. Oh, God, that would have been great. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been fun. Nothing lands with him. And that that is the thing this movie's And he missing. would have had moments of pathos rather than tragedy. Absolute tragedy. Yes. I mean, Hurt, it really made me appreciate him and what an amazing yeah. actor he is. And think of all the incredible performances he's turned in over the years. And yeah, he. It, it was interesting. I had a weird revelation watching this. Like, he reminded me of Bowie in this a lot. Totally. And, and yes. I was like, God, I was like, and I guess in a way, you know, Bowie in his later years did essentially say he was a straight man playing a gay character, too. Right. So, yeah. so, yeah, so he seemed to draw a lot on Bowie, and, uh, and it just brings this incredible sadness to yeah. it um and, you know and you think of so these are the these are the, the the roles that that uh got john hurt cast in uh partners uh the naked civil servant the british uh miniseries about uh gay icon quentin crisp uh i claudius remember he was our first caligula and was mm-hmm. completely awesome uh midnight express he was the sad junkie in the prison um, Alien is, you know, he's the chest burster guy, but whatever. And then the, the Elephant Man. Yeah. So it's like, how did they think to put him in this comedy? Yeah. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, that that is the fatal, <laughs> that is yeah. the fatal flaw here. And he looks terrible. He looks sad and broken. And well, physically, he looks 60 years old. Well, it's actually, and it's actually an interesting thing about this movie, like in terms of the, it being an offensive, I don't know, Rex Reed said it was like, yes, one of the greatest crimes against the gay community. Oh, he's got a pink poodle in this fight. (laughs) Yes. And, but, but it's, it is actually, there was, to me, there's an interesting thing here that is slightly progressive for the time of, that also would have been interesting to go down this road. And when you say Woody Allen, where John Hurt is a gay man who is insecure and doesn't know how to approach other. It's not the gay man is the sexual predator. Totally. And the, yeah. you, you know, he, and that would have been, that could have been fun to go down the road of like, he's insecure around guys. Right. He doesn't quite, and Ryan O'Neill actually kind of helps him. And they, Move slightly in that direction, but then he falls in love with Ryan O'Neill and yeah, just starts mooning wrong, over him. Yeah. Yes, exactly. No, yeah. if he, I kept thinking that if you know, if it had been about him learning to be confident and a genuine you know, buddy with, movie, like and, it was and, right yes, there, which it definitely has many elements of and moments yes. of, uh, and kind of like you know, a funny scene of him imitating Ryan O'Neill being all cocksure and swaggering, right. And that's but, what made me think of John Ritter would have been so funny at that. But they couldn't help going down the inherently homophobic road of, of course, this guy would fall in love with Ryan O'Neill. And of and course, did you he read would. that the, in the original script? Oh, and they actually shot this. He incredible. Suicide. Incredible. Yeah. Like, 
which you know which Vito Russo said like the gay yeah. guys have to die they have to yeah, kill themselves that's what came to mind immediately yes yeah, yeah. but but unbel- and they tested that and surprise yeah. audiences didn't like it right yeah, I, <laughs> I, I mean I, I hope that's on a DVD or a Blu-ray somewhere that extra that's unbelievable <laughs> So um, the plot in this movie is that there is a high-profile gay murder in what I assume is West Hollywood. I don't know that they ever identify yeah. it, but the gay neighborhood in, in L.A. And uh, the the victim was the son of a uh, newspaper owner, so the cops are really under pressure to get this solved. So um, Kenneth McMillan, one of the great go-to cop actors of the 70s Boy, is he 80s. fun to see. I was just yeah. delighted to see him, yeah. Um, he was also the fat guy with warts in Dune, which I didn't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 yep. He's and in a couple weird, weird trivia. He was op- he co-star was opposite uh, Ryan O'Neill in Oliver's Story, the sequel to Love Story. Oh wow! I I really he's in he's in so many of my favorite movies. Taking a Pelham one two three. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, I loved seeing uh, yeah just great movies. Ragtime, Runaway Train, Ragtime, which I just watched he, recently. It was so good. He is and, so uh, good in Ragtime, and uh, Jimmy Cagney tears him a new one. Yeah. And and I'll tell you one a very underrated that I just love him in his Cat's Eye, the Stephen King anthology movie. Oh sure, yeah. The, the best yeah. segment, the ledge. He's like a sleazy the smoking gambler. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. Um. And I and I saw that he was on all my favorite shows there, Murder She Wrote and Moonlighting, and and then uh then died at fifty six. Died yeah. young. Well, he he you know he always looked like he was on borrowed time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And he's and he's funny in this. He's good. He's great. He's totally great. Um, and I love when Ryan O'Neill says, "Why are you choosing me to go undercover to find as a gay man to pretending to be a gay man to find this killer?" And he says, "Because you got a cute ass." <laughs> yeah, he's really funny, and he's sympathetic to John Hurt, who he outs very abruptly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that you know, was he says, he says we have a closet case down in records. Who, uh, you know, you're going to go undercover, you're going to pose as a couple, and you're going to catch this killer. And then it turns out that there's a serial killer at work, or and uh, or a series of killings, and that's what they have to bust. So they uh, hurt, and uh, at first, extremely uh, hostile Ryan O'Neill move in together. And I just got to say, Hurt shows up, and he's wearing, like, a pink tracksuit with like a pink cardigan tied around his neck he's driving a pink uh vw convertible that and it's like gay people never dress like that yeah no but 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 it was yes right and i I understand you have to communicate right big sight gag yes right right right, yeah but but again like i said really kind of interesting for the time that that hurts character is also essentially going undercover it like right I, that's the only way i can excuse that gag is there is the interesting layer of this is not that guy that's not who he is and he's putting yeah. it on y- yes. you know what i mean so that's a For kind sure. of a, okay an interesting good layer. point excellent point there i kept thinking that car like no gay man would have driven that car that would have been like a hipster new wave chicks dream car in 1980 yeah yeah that's the truth yeah um or me, you know, to the degree that I'm 70% gay, <laughs> yes. according to my wife. <laughs> and and then Ryan O'Neal, like the joke over and over is just that yeah. O'Neal has to put on the tiniest shorts, the tank top. Right. The 
headbanding. The suit. Yeah, yes, they... exactly. It's just one excuse after another. I was thinking, I saw that he started shooting this literally within days of So Fine. He, yeah. he finished yeah. So Fine and jumped right to this. A lot of Two Ryan O'Neill's later. butt, a lot of Ryan O'Neill yeah. ass uh, g- yeah. getting shown. Those and not days. great, not a great ass, which shocked me. And yet a whole movie, So Fine, yeah. was centered around gotta, him exposing I, I his ass. with uh, Kenneth McMillan on, on uh, Ryan O'Neill's ass. Yeah. You know, otherwise in terrific shape. They didn't have the squat technology that we have today. And, and you know, and he's he's pretty funny. He's he's good he in this. He's good. He's, he's pretty funny. E- even though he just has to play the same thing over and over, which is his mortification at... You know, I, I was thinking about this movie. It's just basically... Uh, the feature version of that famous SNL sketch that isn't it Rosie Schuster wrote the the construction workers yes with Dan that, Aykroyd yeah with Dan Aykroyd walking in tiny shorts getting yeah. ogled and heckled by women and that Belushi refused to do like, yeah the men all refused to do they it. all refused yeah. this and it, this is basically that gag and that yeah. experience over and over and and Ryan O'Neill going oh now I know what women go through well that was an interesting that was an interesting he had his little Me Too moment yes. uh, where the uh, gay apartment complex manager feels him up under the table who was that actor by the way must be awful to be a woman you know i tried looking him up i did too and i I could not find him yeah i know me neither and uh, looking at him i was like i know this guy and it really made me nuts and he's and he's funny and he's doing a very queenie over the top oh yeah he's he's he's, very funny yeah he's like he's kind of ghoulish in like like a like a grand guignol way too like there's just something really funny about that queenie performance yeah. it's just it's the weird thing about watching these movies and you see this a lot with i don't know you see this too when you go back to film films with black stereotypes of the 30s and 40s yeah. cabin in the sky uh green pastures where where yes it's this offensive stereotype but it's really moving like a really moving yes and and there's a scene in here where ryan o'neill and john hurt get there where they they're getting their apartment and the older landlord showing them who's this offensive stereotype is is telling them like you're you he says he says they're younger men and he says you're going on this incredible journey together and hold each other tight hold tight hold tight the which is this offensive joke of like oh look at what a swooning queen he's been well, but because it's, his partner had died exactly and it's they a, lived in and that it's, apartment together it's a decades. moving and it's a moving scene yeah. to have in a, a film at that time of saying like no this isn't just a joke you're not just two guys who are gonna hook up and never say right. like you're gonna have this life together yeah so, so, so i agree with you and i thought that was a, that was a rather um rich in, bit of insight into the gay world that yeah. scene in particular and that character and his big moment yeah that was great um so you know o'neill is annoyed with everything at first and then he goes jogging he picks up iris albatini that and this is the sequence that that this is the sequence that won me over i really laughed at this whole thing like yeah it hurt or uh, Ryan O'Neill has just been groped, like we were saying. Right. He's in a. He's in a. He's upset. He's in a gay panic. Yes. Goes jogging. Sees a, a hot lady jogging. And 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 follows and follows her home, and uh, and you cut to them in in her apartment together. Basically, like she thinks he's gay. She thinks nothing of taking her top off and walking around right. with her boobs out because yeah, she just assumes he's gay. 
Right. Yes. And then he's like, I'll show you, essentially. I'm a <laughs> I'm a big straight guy. And then you do the smash cut to them in bed together, staring at the ceiling, uncomfortable, <laughs> and her saying, it could happen to anyone. It's okay. Yeah. Don't forget. Yeah. Hilarious. I mean, like, I was Very like, good. that's a really funny sequence. That, the callback to that later was even better. Yes. When yeah. uh, John Hurt, who... It seems like has probably had no sex with anyone in his life because he's been so terrified in the closet. Uh, he, you know, he finally goes home with somebody and then comes back to report that he can't get it up. And Ryan O'Neill gives him the exact same pep talk yes. that the jogger gave to Ryan O'Neill. Really, I thought that was a really, again, uh, especially for its time, very funny, smart. Totally, yes. Totally, yes. And, and you know, the one thing we haven't talked about is this is the one movie directed by Jimmy Burroughs. Yeah. The one of the, you know, all, maybe the all-time sitcom director. I would say the greatest sitcom director of all time, clearly, yeah. Creator of Cheers, co-creator. But every sitcom you can think of that was, you know, a huge hit over the past 40 years, He's yeah. been the main director on them. It's it's funny. I I actually worked with him a couple years ago on a friend's pilot that that he was doing that that Burroughs was the director and producer of, and uh, and and he's <laughs> and we went to the table read for the pilot. Like, oh, we hope this gets picked up by the network. All the actors are there, you know, and uh, and the and and Burroughs is at one side of the table, and uh, and the and it's on a studio lot. And the table read starts up and people are getting laughs and they're doing their lines. And then there was construction outside. There was like a lot of construction. And then the noise was like getting like it was overwhelming. Like and I saw like I would my friend who had written it. I saw his face falling as jokes are now not landing and people are distracted. And and I was like and in my head, I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This sinks his show, you you know, like, yeah. And Burroughs just got up, walked out the door, and you heard him scream, turn that shit off. Oh, <laughs> and and, and it, all the construction goes silent. And he comes back in. And he's like, all right, we can resume. <laughs> and uh, and it went great. And and I was like, oh, that's the difference with these old pro guys and me. I, I, I implode and go, oh, it's all over. And he, no, he goes out and stops a massive <laughs> construction project with, with one yell. <laughs> a hero. Yeah, but it's but it is weird to me that he I guess I guess the reaction of this was so or maybe he just wanted to go further into TV or but it's shocking that he didn't direct more uh, more movies. Well, he clearly got more and more and more TV work. Yeah, that's the IVP truth. Page. Yeah. Oh, God, everything. Yeah, it's really mind. And, 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 you know, Cheers premiered in 82. So he was working on that. So, yeah, he was set. Um, so it turns out that the murder victim, there are now a couple of murder victims. They all posed for. Man's Man magazine. Man's Man. A gay porno bi-weekly. I love that it comes out twice a month. Yeah. Hard, hard schedule to keep up. <laughs> well, that's why Robert Douglas, uh, as the photographer, is always working, taking pictures of the gay guys. So That's right. Uh, Ryan O'Neill poses as sort of Cupid, and he's on the cover. His girlfriend sees him. There's that moment. Uh, and the next clue they get is that uh, somebody with a horrible hoarse voice keeps calling to set up a photo shoot with the models, um, which was just a funny detail that they were like, oh, his voice was horrible. It was a nightmare. It's like, then you yeah. hear the guy is just like, I want to take some pictures. Oh, <laughs> <You know>? man. 
And then when you see him, those eyebrows. <laughs> that was the best. He, a guy with gruff eyebrows. I've never the seen eyebrows, gruff eyebrows before. He has. <laughs> they're like miniature Grandpa Monster hair wings, but just yes. shooting way straight, even straighter up into the air. Really disturbing. Yes. <laughs> no, no, he was a freaky looking dude. He man. needed John Hurt's hair dryer real bad. <laughs> <laughs> Batting down those hatches on yeah. his face. Um, James Remar, briefly as a suspect. Um, also in cruising. Also in cruising as one of the uh, um, cross-dressing prostitutes. And uh, before that, played uh, the loudly homophobic Ajax in The Warriors. That's true, yeah. Um, so John Hurt throws a, a housewarming party. And I want to say, I don't know if you noticed... A lot of Lacoste polo shirts and a lot of Hawaiian shirts, which is I my exact that. style. I did notice that. Yeah. Looks like a good party, too. Uh, Playing, a, yeah. you know, the scene where, again, this could have been really fun, where he's nervous to dance with a man. John Hurt, yes. Ryan O'Neill's like, you got to dance with him. To such a great song, Love on a Two-Way Street. A song yes. I've, I hadn't thought about in years, and what a delight to hear that in here. Just a, a great song. Yeah. Yeah. And again, could have been, yes, could have been this really fun thing, except that John Hurt is in agony, is in genuine pain <laughs> and, and conveying. Yes. And just how much more fun would this have been him and O'Neill and him, when O'Neill's freaking out about I got to wear a leather suit. Yeah. If it had been a fun camp character going, oh, get out of here. You love it. Come on. You look fantastic. Yeah. But but no, Smack it had to be a, like assless chap. But it cheeks. had to be. Yeah. No, I, I understand. I, I feel your pain. <laughs> you know, like oh, there's God. a scene where he's in the gay bar smoking like a foot long cigarette. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the most sad I've ever felt watching a movie. <laughs> like, right, especially as it gets such just it, existential misery. Especially as it gets into O'Neill having sex with the photographer, the woman who's taking the yeah. photos, and now he's jealous and sad. So it's taking yeah. any fun out of that yeah. turn, you, you know. Oh, and, and well, that was the real heart tugger was. Uh, you know, he surprises O'Neill. He's like, oh, maybe we'll just order Chinese. He's like, no, I like when you cook. And he, oh, God, yeah. And he opens the refrigerator. There's like steaks. There's a giant cheesecake. He's a, a lobster cocktail that looked amazing. Oh, wow. I, know, that was I mean, I really, I was yeah. like, this This is this is a meal, man. These, these giant steaks. <laughs> Thick, <Yeah>. freaking steaks. <laughs> uh, two lobster cocktails. And, and then the and cheesecake that's the size of like a pizza pan. Oh, man. We, sometimes we talk about food doesn't look good in movies. This was, a, I was like, all right. <laughs> really? uh, yes. I really? will. Let's go. I mean, making it all the more tragic when Ryan O'Neill callously blows him off to go have sex with the photographer. <laughs> yes. It says that that food will keep. He yeah. says. Yeah. It's like, well, fuck you, Ryan. So, um, but there is one moment that I loved, and I thought this was, you know, really what showed some of what this movie could have been, heart-wise. Uh, you know, they're living together essentially as this, like, 50s couple, and, right. and Hurt is the doting housewife, and Ryan says he's going out to get something, he's getting milk or something, and just absentmindedly kisses John Hurt on the cheek on the way out. <laughs> yeah. Leading up... Not to jump the gun, but leading up to the insane ending where well, oh God, Hurt, yeah. Hurt yeah. essentially takes a bullet for Ryan O'Neill and is yeah. lying there dying, we, we think. Yes. And O'Neill is babbling to him. 
we'll, we'll, we'll get a new apartment bigger and and you'll make my dinner and clean <laughs> like just like insane and then and then he and McMillan you dissolve to McMillan informing him well John Hurt didn't die just so you know and he goes oh that's good I'm glad the gay guy didn't die and and McMillan says yeah and he says he's really looking forward to uh, you guys playing house together and Ryan O'Neill goes huh and that's the, that's the end, yeah and that's yeah. the big hand like I was just saying that stuff to keep the gay guy alive <laughs> It's so stupid. Uh, and then they later they have a big bonding moment when um, Ryan O'Neill, like uh, John Hurt, can't he can't quite uh, stitch this. He's like stitching up a shirt or something. He can't quite sew. And then Ryan O'Neill surprisingly shows that he's very good with the needle and thread. And uh, John Hurt smiles and calls him the F word for once. And they have a big <laughs> chuckle. You know, when you were saying like in Zorro, people are over the top and yeah. it's not funny and it's dangerous. It like John Hurt in this is the argument to the classic you know comedy should be played straight. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. John Hurt does kind of <laughs> disprove that theory in this this movie. But not this well. <laughs> no, not this well. Exactly. No. By someone who can't act that well. Yes. So, uh, nice touch. I thought it was a huge line of people outside a theater showing Lacajo for 2. That is a nice touch. Yeah. Uh, acknowledging Weber, the screenwriter. Um, and then a big, you know, planned as a big laugh. Uh, Ryan O'Neill picks up a guy at a diner for information, and they end up on the beach, and the guy is mincing around and shrieking and skinny dipping. Oh, they God, yeah, that's right. Busted that by the cops. Well. Yeah. Uh, one of the connections is a parking valet played by Martin Cove. Do you recognize him? No. He was the Cobra Kai sensei from the oh, Karate Kid. Okay, nice. And then it becomes this crazy mystery, which I did end up kind of enjoying. <laughs> yeah. Leading yeah. to that big standoff. Yes. Yeah. Where he deflects a bullet with his eyebrows that is fired. <laughs> yeah, sends it right into John Hurt's gut. Yes, that's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right into his pink sweater that he's wearing. Um, so yeah, LGBTQ for me. Um, yeah, me too. Fun. Yeah. Fun to watch. And, and, and you know, more substantial than I would have guessed yes. and more I moving agree. than I ever would have guessed. And yeah. yet, you know, it, a lot of it doesn't work. And yet uh, offensive. And, yeah, yeah, and you can see, you can yeah. totally see why. And especially yeah. if I had been a gay audience member back then, it would have been like, ugh, like, like we're saying like, guys, if you just. If you had just gotten one gay consultant, maybe, to yeah. read the script, you could have turned it in 45 degrees and you'd have a fun movie like La Caja Faux or you'd have a classic, Victoria. Yeah. Or, yeah. Even if it wasn't, you know, even if it still had its cliches and it, it would be fun. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and just uh, to ahead. quickly talk, Mike, about when we were talking about the production side of it and the Paramount side, I was really fascinated by this producer, the producer Aaron Russo. Did yes, you read about him? I did. What a, what a wild guy. Yeah, uh, completely. Bette Midler's he, manager, yeah. Yeah, had a rock club in Chicago in the late 60s called the Kinetic Playground. And <laughs> with like where, where every like Grateful Dead, Led Zepp, The Who, and and uh, and then... And and then became this film producer. He produced Wise Guys with Joe Piscopo, which, which we we're going to review. We love. Yeah. Trading Places, The Rose for Bette Midler, Teachers, and uh, and then went 
crazy political making documentaries about NAFTA and the New World Order and yeah, and, went and, hardcore libertarian. I remember him being on Howard Stern and ranting, oh, no kidding. about stuff. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Ran for president. I saw. It yes, in yeah, when he was running for president, two thousand four. Yeah, yeah, interesting dude. But uh, but but really, like when we were saying those those Paramount movies that were made on TV budgets, which this was one, right? All because Barry Diller came out of ABC because he was a TV guy, and, and he's he, gay. Barry Diller's gay. <laughs> okay, he is gay. I was going to yes. ask because he's married to yeah. Diane von Furstenberg, which I, I saw. Yeah. Yeah, and, that, uh, was, that, that should have been your first clue. I believe me. I Yes, it did cross <laughs> my mind. Like, yeah. uh, yes, at the least. Uh, but uh, amazed, uh, loved seeing, and it makes so much sense now that he also produced The Fan and yeah. uh, Bloodline for Paramount at that time. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> yes, makes total sense. Um, and, and all, like I was saying, all of those, those six movies, so fascinating. Some Kind of Hero with Richard Pryor. Yeah. Uh, officer and a gentleman, Jekyll right. and Hyde together again, which I tried to watch right. recently. Just Me too. Nothing cocaine, but cocaine jokes. White dog, right? Uh, and I'm dancing as fast as I can. And then the one you and I are the most fascinated by: the unreleased Young Lust. Yes. The the holy grail of your uh, right teen of teen movie, movie hell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was a um, teen sex comedy, and I think a soap opera parody, or centered on a soap opera directed by Gary Weiss who was the brilliant and really unsung documentarian on SNL after Albert Brooks had left and back when SNL was again those first five years when it tried to be as as they deemed it initially a variety show for freaks you'd have uh, Gary Weiss would shoot stuff like uh, just singers and piano bars all singing right. uh, Misty or he intercut like the uh, Lincoln Center Ballet with break dancers in the 70s. Just amazing stuff. Um, but there were reports of a single disastrous screening. And uh, it may, the movie may or may not exist. It may or may not have ever been completed. There is an incredible poster that is online of, you see a, a, the back of like a teenage girl. She's got like a, you know, a high school letter jacket. That spells out young lust, and there are multiple arms wrapped around her, like she's making out with a bunch of guys. But among the arms are two donkey legs as well. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you that I found a really fascinating book online called uh, "Engulfed." <laughs> no, no, that that's a fascinating book. Get get your copy today. Um, yeah. No, uh, "Engulfed: the the death of Paramount Pictures and the birth of corporate Hollywood." Oh. By, well, that's what I'm getting yeah. by Bernard F. Dick, and um, and it's really interesting because Young Lust does come up in there, and oh, I ha geez. I've never seen this. I've never seen this described, but I think it's a Diller quote. But anyways, one of the Paramount execs basically says it was too raunchy. Like we saw it, and it was like we can't. This is <laughs> it's the only time I've ever seen uh, someone t describe that movie and say it was too much. They went too crazy, and we couldn't put this out. So, which, you know, which makes you even more desperate Damn, to well, see Yeah, well, this it. is, thank, I mean, where were you two years ago when I was writing this book? I, I, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, no, but... this is great, thank you, that is a major discovery, thank you. But really interesting to learn that Diller came out of TV, he, I, I didn't, I never really knew that he was considered responsible for the whole idea of high-concept movies, 
from when he was doing TV movies for ABC. And he said, you got to sell it in the little TV guide, one sentence capsule description that has to sell the movie. The elevator pitch. Yeah. Took that philosophy to Paramount and really Paramount, an amazing studio for creating the biggest trash of the eighties and pushing the movie industry into Friday the 13th. Um, I mean, they did airplane, you know, that, that really more like vulgarized comedy, even more, the, but also the classiest stuff, the Chinatown and Nashville, yeah. the, the Godfather days of heaven. So uh, really, uh, really an amazing studio to read about. Yeah. Just ordered the book as we were talking. There you go. But I swear I was listening to you. So there you go. Love it. Um, Unlike Zora the Gay Blade, where you just <laughs> stared at your phone. <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde together again, we should touch on for a minute. Because um, I tried to watch it, too. Uh, it's on a DVD, I think. With, yeah, uh, it is. You know, it's a Blu-ray, st- It's a Blu-ray with Student Bodies, which is a great movie that we'll yeah. probably do at uh, Halloween time. Yeah, um, I love it. But, that. you know, it's fascinating because it is the Friday's movie. Yeah, yeah. Because it's Mark Blankfield, uh, who was one of the comics on the... ABC SNL ripoff Fridays, which is great, which is an amazing thing to watch. Um, and I think that's all it's like on Amazon Prime and stuff. Uh, an amazing time capsule. Um, and he played a, a pharmacist character who just was whacked out on drugs all the time. And that's what Jekyll and Hyde yes. together again essentially is just all coke jokes from beginning yeah. to end. And I like that it was Michael Eisner was like the big champion of that movie, he really pushed it. Michael Eisner wow. also said he hated partners. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think partners had a lot of fans. I really no, don't. it definitely did not. And we'll get to the reviews now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, first off, you got to watch, I don't know if you did, the Siskel and Ebert episode where they, you know, went ham hating partners. Okay, okay. Uh, because this was, I remember the episode. This was 1982, Conan the Barbarian, which they loved. Uh-huh. Which surprised me. They both really liked the sword and the sorcerer. Okay. They both raved, you know, understandably about Christiani F. Saying yep. that even the dubbed version works. Okay. Because that's what that was all they were given to see. And Ebert had somehow seen the German version also. Uh, the Dogs of the so, Week. So they watched three of the gayest films of all time. <laughs> most homoerotic films are. And then they saw Partners and they flipped out in Rich. Exactly. <laughs> Gee, yeah. I wonder what was going on. The turd in the punch bowl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what was going on. Um, the Dogs of the Week were the Beach Girls, which is, you know, an innocuous uh, teen sex comedy. And then... I did not, I mean, I've seen ads and posters for this movie, The Senior Snatch, and Cisco was like, I got you beat, I got you beat, I have the dog of the week of forever. So he describes it, and we're going to have to watch this now, he says, it was sold as a goofy teen sex comedy, it starts in modern Hawaii, switches to 1808 Hawaii, where a witch doctor does a voodoo ritual, Yeah. Then it then it switches back to a, quote, totally incongruous sex picture picture involving a group of co-eds climbing a mountain to make love with a bearded old man. I remember this. I remember that dog of the week. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, he saw that. it at, you know, the Hammond, Indiana drive and he would go to, and he said, this is the quote with a heavy makeout crowd. Oh man. <laughs> and at some point the movie got so bad that people started yelling out of their windows. And he said, that's the ultimate film criticism. 
A film so bad you can't ignore it and just have fun. Oh, that's great. But in that's their great. review, uh, Siskel says right up, is a series of homosexual murders a suitable subject for comedy? It certainly doesn't work here. Uh, and his <laughs> two other quotes, partners is trash, and finally saying it's a very depressing film to sit through. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's not wrong. He's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Siskel says Ryan O'Neill has become a parody of himself. Uh, first, also you know, true. citing how he wore the see-through butt jeans and so fine. Right. And then likening him to a Ken doll, saying yeah. you just change his clothes and that's supposed to be funny. Yeah. And then it also made it to their Stinkers of 82 episode. It was one of uh, Siskel's Stinkers. Uh-huh. His others were <laughs> Inchon, a movie we're not going to watch. Yes, Giorgio, which I insist we must watch. Lo- love to. Uh, and I was wondering what to pair that with. I was thinking maybe Jigo. Give myself uh, a giant block of provolone and <laughs> cut pieces off watching we, Yes, Giorgio. We have to really Mozart pair that L. with the right movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amityville 2. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I ought to be in pictures, which we're going to have to do with the Neil Simon uh, bombs off because that got some incredibly hostile reviews. Yes, and partners. Ebert's stinkers were, if you could see what I hear. Have you seen that? I can't remember. That's a must for us. That's on our list. Okay. Uh, Porky's, another one on our list. On our list, six weeks with Dudley six Moore and Mary weeks. Tyler Moore. Yeah, uh, Dudley Moore yeah. and Mary Tyler Moore and the the girl who's dying. Right. And they split. Cisco liked it, and then uh, Halloween three and Grease two. Yeah, okay. Sounds about so, right. Here's the Rex Reed quote. Um, Hollywood's latest crime against humanity in general and homosexuals in particular is a dumb creep show called Partners. Stupid, tasteless, and homophobic. This sleazy, superficial film implies that gay cops can't be trusted to work with straight cops because they <laughs> might fall in love with them. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, it's not even that they might fall in love, which is you know true of any cops, uh, but that they will inevitably fall in love. Yes, right. <laughs> To a debilitating degree and yeah. ruin, ruin sting operations and bumbling. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's really offensive. Uh, Vincent Camby sort of gave it a, a mixed review, mildly okay. Uh, but the last time I was at the preview, at which I saw partners, a group of irate patrons hissed and booed the film's end. I assume it was not because they were disappointed that the film was over too soon. <laughs> That's funny. So uh, before we before we talk about uh, next week, so you know my pal Springo, mm-hmm. who's an eccentric character to say the least. So um, he was so uh, besmitten with our sex tet episode last week that he wrote some modern day May West lines. Wow, <laughs> great! Let's go. So I'm gonna read them to you. Okay. So I want to say. For, so I told you know he he said I want to I want to do this and I said okay so the first version of this he wrote had the name Michael Rennie in it like that was his Springo's idea of a modern figure sure so, yeah so then he said okay change it to Tom Hanks so it's, okay everyone calls Tom Hanks a consummate gentleman only he wasn't always gentle but consummate we did. <laughs> That's great. So I said, all right, more, more contemporary. So he goes, these protest times are good for me. I'm always happy to take a knee. Only it's not <laughs> usually a blue sea that follows. <laughs> George W. wasn't the only Bush that Barack O. struck up a friendship with. 
I told Betsy Devos that the o- that abstinence education only happens when the school door is locked. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hang on, there's three sure, more. Sure, sure. There's one that's a, that is legit offensive, so I'm not going to read it. But okay. I'll just give you the setup. Maybe I should get tested for COVID. I ain't been to China, <laughs> but... <laughs> Okay, so we'll just leave that to your imagination. Sure, sure. Uh, Afghanistan ain't the only thing Trump refused to pull out of. Any of you dames know how to get orange stains off a gal's knickers? Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and then this one, I have to think perhaps, I mean, this is so impenetrable, I just had to leave it as is. I mean, I couldn't okay. ask him for clarity. When I took a hot tub with Mitch O'Connell, or Mitch McConnell, all I could think of was that my dear friend Ruby Keeler called to say she wanted her clitoris back. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, we yeah. just, you know, that's his uh, fire sign theater uh, surrealism Dada moment. I he needs to tour the country dressed up as Mae West <laughs> oh. delivering these lines. Like, can you imagine? Yeah, I mean, he does that regularly. He's now got to start doing it for money, though. Yeah, so. yeah, in public. That's great. Yeah, I don't know. He does it in public. <laughs> So, thank you, Springo. If we can figure out how to get you a microphone, we're going to have you on. Yeah, great um, stuff. And again, thank you last week to Frank Santo Padre. So, next week, we're going to have a very special guest, Mr. Brian Sauer of the website Rupert Pupkin Speaks and the New Beverly Cinema's Pure Cinema podcast. We're going to talk about the movie's rated T in the back of Danny Peary's Guide for the Film Fanatic. Uh, with a, a special uh, close-up on two Al Adamson productions, uh, you know, in conjunction with Seven Films' mind-blowing Al Adamson box that just came out. Uh, we'll be doing Satan Sadists and Nurse Sherry. All right. T so, stands for trash, by the that's way. That's right. Rated T for trash. T for trash. Perry said inessential. We yes. took that to mean, you know, the totally most essential. Totally essential. See yeah. those first. <laughs> Go to the video <laughs> store. <laughs> yeah. Get right a plane from yes. the University of Georgia. <laughs> Do whatever it takes. Yeah. Be- befriend Al Adamson. Yeah. <laughs> Do some contract work on Al Adamson's house. Absolutely. Uh, if only some. If only a fan had done that. So, all right. <laughs> on that note, Aaron, you, the the line is yours this week. Well, Mike, this was a this was a gay old time. I had a good a good a good time with these movies, and Very uh, much. and until next week, crack or get off the pot. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Oh, that was great.